Today, um, I'm going to finish my series in Proverbs uh, so that we can head into uh, the Jesus Loves Me series. And I'm going to briefly touch on just quite a number of subjects that uh, uh, Solomon uh, touches on in Proverbs. Uh, many of them, the subjects today, are not probably among our favorite topics, uh, and yet they're, they are solid topics that Proverbs addresses uh, and that we need to that we need to be reminded of. Um, and Proverbs, I, I want to say before I start today, I want to go back to Proverbs chapter three, five, and six where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Um, we need to be reminded that God, we can trust God. And when the world tells us, you know, that we ought to try this or we ought to do that, God is smarter than the world is. <laughs> A lot smarter. And, and it's a matter of trusting God. When God says something that contradicts the way we want to live or the world wants us to live, guess who's smarter? Guess who's really got our best interest at, at heart? God wrote the Bible because he wants to lay out for us the best way to live. That's what Proverbs is saying, and, and some of these topics today, um, that's what we need to re- be reminded of. The best thing you and I can do with our lives is, is trust that God knows what is best for us and begin to live that way. So I'm going to start off with a, a subject um, that is not... Um, Solomon just is all over the map on this one. And uh, Solomon partly um, lived all over the map and learned from it, um, learned some things from it anyway. And, and so my first topic is women. And um, I, I'm certainly bound to get in some trouble somewhere. <laughs> but one of his favorite topics was women. And uh, there's a couple of famous quotes with a negative slant on them. Uh, and so just for... Humor will start out that way. But this, this top one, I mean, who writes like that? I mean, how do you say anything better than that? Like a gold ring and a pig snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Doesn't that say it all? <laughs> that is an amazing verse of scripture. I mean, that's worth repeating. Like a gold ring and a pig snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. <laughs> I mean, so um, that that's one of uh, Solomon's favorite quotes. Um, but here's another one. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Or 10 verses later, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Now, I'm just guessing that just because Solomon had more than one wife, he probably had some quarrelsomeness and some nagging. <laughs> and he probably deserved it <laughs> um, from time to time. So, um, but anyway, now Solomon doesn't always resort to these kind of statements, but he also had some other things to say. Um, listen to this. A kind-hearted woman gains honor, but a ruthless man gains only wealth. 
And he makes that contrast there um, that favors the woman there. Proverbs 12, verse 4 says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Then in Proverbs 18, 22, Proverbs, uh, Solomon says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Now, when you think of Proverbs and you think of the subject of women, your mind probably goes immediately to Proverbs 31. Because the last 21 verses of the book of Proverbs is about the wife of noble character. And it basically presents an image of a perfect wife. And quite often, over you probably have been sat through some Mother's Day sermons that involve that passage. And if you were a woman, you probably left the service not feeling much appreciated on Mother's Day, because a lot of times that test can just make you feel like, well, there's no way I'm ever going to be one of those. <laughs> because it, 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 sometimes that text has been preached in such a way um, that you think the purpose of it um, is that, you know, God, Solomon's intent was that all women were supposed to measure up to Proverbs 31 and the wife of that. That was not his intent at all, if you read the verses carefully um, and look at it. Now, one of the other things you should know about Proverbs uh, 31, verses 10 through uh, 31, is that every verse starts out with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet in succession. So um, it's, it's an acrostic as it goes down through that. But what I want you to see as you look at this, and I cut out the middle of it the, between uh, 13 and um, 27, all of that just goes through all kinds of things about this wonderful wife who basically does everything imaginable for the home and for the husband. I mean, I don't know what was left for him to do at all because he's got this wonderful, wonderful wife who does everything. He, she makes all the money. She does all the work. She does all the cleaning. She is perfect. She does everything that there is possibly to do. But notice what he says to start with, and notice what he says at the bottom. A wife, a noble character, who can find? In other words, he's saying, what I'm listing here is something you can't find, men. <laughs> and then he gets down here and he says, and even if you do happen to find her, guess what's going to happen? She's going to change. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So Solomon is saying, even if you find the perfect woman to marry men, uh, don't count on them staying that way. <laughs> but first of all, he says, you're not going to find that. And women, you're not going to find a perfect man to marry because there aren't any out there and there are no perfect women. And a lot of times when we head into marriage, we, you know, we're looking for perfection. And what Solomon is really saying from all of his life experience is, be happy with the, the wife of your youth. Be happy with the spouse of your youth. 
Don't always be looking around and always looking for fault and all of that because nobody's perfect. There is no woman that matches up to Proverbs 31. It's not possible. God didn't wire us that way. Now, um, the second subject that that I want to touch on this morning is the subject of immorality and adultery. One of the things that Solomon had learned uh, through his own personal painful experience was the dangers of adultery. Proverbs is against adultery. God is against adultery because God is against anything that hurts the family and hurts marriage. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 through 19 says, Wisdom will save you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. And then Proverbs chapter 5, verses 3 through 6 says, For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. And then the last passage that I want to share with you, and there's many more in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27 through 29, and then verse 32. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Stanley Allison uh, wrote a book probably 20 years ago now um, called Divorce and Remarriage in the Church. And I, I thought he made a very uh, wise comment in, in this. He writes, If one's marriage partner is playing the harlot or the tomcat with someone else. It is more of a sin to continue to live with that one than to separate. To be submissive to such an arrangement by condoning it is to be a party to it. One should lay down the law to the erring partner and refuse to continue allowing them that kind of behavior. The sinning partner needs to be severely jolted and reminded of the enormity of his or her crime. God does not condone such behavior, and he holds us responsible not to tolerate it either. To be timid is to promote the abomination that God hates as much as he hates divorce. And I just want to say to you today, friends, you know, all these, the sins that are so common in our society, sometimes we, we get around to ranking them. And, and we have to be careful about that. Because, you know, we, we can think, well, you know, tolerate adultery or tolerate this. And, and then, you know, the victim, they have no choices at all. And, and we have to be careful about that. 
Um, the other thing then he went on to say is in taking this action, we also have to remember and recognize that reconciliation is always the heartbeat of God. And so we need to be uh, mindful of that. Another theme that you, you just cannot ignore in Proverbs that completely goes against the grain of our culture today uh, is that theme of drunkenness. Drunkenness in the scriptures is equated, especially in Proverbs, is equated with foolishness, with poverty, with grief, and despair. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Proverbs 23, Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. And then the long passage that uh, most of us know about is in Proverbs 23, 29 through uh, 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who had needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. You know, that's one of the silliest things that we do in our culture today. 20 years ago, you didn't hear about wine-tasting events all over the place. You, you could go to one a week in McKinsey County. Do we not have anything better to do with our time? Is there nothing that we can find to do than go sample wine and figure out which one is the best? Have we nothing better to do with our lives as Christians than sampling bowls of mixed wine? I don't know. I don't get it. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? And Solomon says, we have to be careful of that. Proverbs 31, verses 4 through 7. This comes right before the, the wife of a noble character in the last chapter. And it's written to Lemuel, who is a king. It said, It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed, and deprived all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, and wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. The theme there, again, is that if you want to be a leader... You have to decide that, you know, alcohol and wine and all of that stuff is not a priority in your life. You want to be responsible around the clock, 24-7. Here's another subject, gossip. Another thing that you and I are to avoid, Proverbs 11, verse 13 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. 
Proverbs 16.28 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 26, verses 20 through 22 says, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Somewhere here in the school, and I've forgotten now where or when it got put up, but there's a, there's a poster that talks about you know, the control of the tongue and it asks the, the think questions. Um, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspired? Is it necessary? And is it kind? You know, that's, that's kind of the, the trigger, um, the safety um, lock that we ought to put on the trigger of our tongue. Those five questions can do an awful lot of good for us today as, as God's people. Asking ourselves before we talk, is it true? Who is it going to help? <laughs> is it inspirational? Or does it go down? Does it cut people down? Is it necessary? Do I need to talk? Um, and is it kind? Those keys should, should serve us well. Here's another subject, um, and that is, you know, you could put this two ways. God hates injustice, and we've talked a little bit about this in pieces uh, as we've gone through the series. The other way of saying that positively is that God loves justice. He wants us to be a people who are just in our relationships with other people. Look at some of these verses. Proverbs 17, verse 15 says, Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. So make sure that we don't um, declare somebody who's guilty innocent and declare the, um, the other way around. Proverbs 17, 23 says, The wicked accept bribes in secret and pervert the course of justice. Proverbs 22, verse 8 says, Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. Now you look at those, those three verses, and there's, there is just verse after verse in Proverbs about justice, and God caring about scales, and how, how we, we know that we're being fair with one another, and all those kind of things. God cares about justice Passionately. You cannot read the Old Testament and read, uh, especially the minor prophets. God declared through the minor prophets in, in book after book that part of the reason they went into captivity was their lack of justice in the way they dealt with each other. If they couldn't be just, just in their relationships with other Israelites, then God was going to allow them to go into captivity. And God, we need to hear that today. And, and, you know, I'm, it's sickening sometimes to listen to the news and see all the, the things that are unjust that are happening in our culture. God wants us to be reminded God has no place for injustice among his people. We need to be people who are treating one another justly. Proverbs 24, verses 23 through 25 says, these are also the sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judging is not good. 
Whoever says of the guilty, you are innocent, will be cursed by people and denounced by nations. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty, and rich blessing will come on them. I was interested in reading um, Outreach Magazine some time ago. Dim, uh, Dim, uh, no, that's not his first name. Dan, <laughs> Dan Kimball writes, and um, it, and he was writing about um, justice and all of that, and he wrote an article that whole that whole magazine was about the issue of justice. But Dan Kimball kind of wrote the introductory article that that I thought set the stage so well because he said as he's out and as he deals with millennial Christians and young Christians in particular, he says as he inter- interacts with them, he says one of the things that he notices is, is that they care so much about justice. But... He said the problem is that they define the whole gospel as justice. And so they think that by doing good and solving this, you know, justice issue or or whatever that is, wherever they're doing, whatever they're doing, as long as they're doing something that involves justice, they're good with God. They haven't dealt with their own sin. They haven't come to Christ. They haven't done a number of other things. But just because they care about justice, they they assume that they are good with God. And, and so Dan made that, that comment in that opening article um, that if we really care about justice, that one of the things that we must care about is really making disciples. Because if we are disciples and if we have gotten saved, if, if Christ has come into our life, we will care about the needs around us. But to think that just because we're meeting a need that we are okay with God, that's never going to cut it with God. There's, there's no evidence of that in Scripture, and yet God separates the sheep and the goats. If we're genuinely Christian, we care about the poor. We care about the needs of people all around us. But just because we care about that doesn't make us a Christian, and, and we need to know that. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a wonderful um, piece also. He said, The first few centuries after the resurrection of Christ, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and the principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. The church is not the master or servant of the estate but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. And friends, you know, I, I just want to say this again to you. This is not, you know, not the kind of bubbly sermon everybody comes to church and all excited to hear. But friends, if you go to church and you never hear anything that's convicting, it's time for you to change churches. It's time for you to go somewhere because you can't read the Word of God and not be convicted. I don't care if you've been a a, a saint for 75 years. The Word of God will cut through and it will speak to issues in our life and it will convict us because we are sinners and we need to deal with issues in our life. And so the same thing is true of the church. uh, And Martin Luther King was just making a comment that, we can't be a thermometer that just takes the gauge of popular opinion around us and then we just adopt whatever culture is telling us to adopt. We need to be the thermostat 
that turns up the temperature. And so our community realizes, no, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is righteous, and this is the way that we ought to live. The fact is, our world has a lot more um, influence on us than we are having on our world. And the early church was the opposite. The early church was impacting their culture and their world a lot more than the world was impacting the church. So one of the questions I I want to ask this morning, how is it with you? Are you more influenced and impacted by the world? Or are you influencing and impacting the world for Christ? How's it with me? And Martin Luther King Jr. had it right. We need to be a thermostat, not the thermometer of everything that goes around us. Elizabeth O'Connor says, The church which ignores needs ignores Jesus. So when we become Christians, we can't just isolate ourselves and not care about the world around us. We have to be involved. We have to be engaged. Because Jesus was out there. You can't read the Gospels and miss that. He was always out there meeting needs and caring for people. And we have to be if we are the church. The last subject is a good subject. (laughs) Proverbs, uh, we even mentioned it in Sunday school this morning. Um, Cheerfulness or merriness comes from the heart. Um, And Proverbs says it comes from the heart, it flows to the face, and it is good medicine for the whole body. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but a heartache crushes the spirit. Proverbs 15, 15 says, All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I was visiting with someone yesterday talking about um, having a port put in for chemo and that they weren't going to use the rest or anything. They wanted to put the port right here so that they could get the chemo uh, right to the heart so the heart could pump that throughout all the veins and get everything all at once. Cheerfulness is like that. Proverbs says it's a good thing when we have cheerfulness and that it starts right here within the heart. Flows to the face, but it's medicine to the whole body. And he says, if we could have a cheerful spirit as God's people, it will actually help us live our lives and help us be healthy people. Um, It's good medicine for us. 